every Friday when I was in Indiana, I would grab Ben and Jerry's and sit down because it was on Fridays at eight, I believe. And I would watch Shark Tank every single Friday. And every Friday, my husband and I would have the same conversation. Veronica, why are we watching this? You know, I love this show. Why do you love this show? I'm like, I just do. And I'm going to be on it one day. And he's like, well, what are you going to be on it for? I'm like, I don't know yet, but I'm going to be on it. And he was like, okay, crazy lady. And we would, you know, eat ice cream and watch it. Welcome back to the Innovator Podcast, the female entrepreneur series that dives into the stories of how women founders tackled hardship and difficulties to ultimately find success. My name is Erica Sullivan. I am the host of the Innovator Podcast, and today I'm welcoming Veronica Armstrong. Veronica is the CEO of Il Denature, a bee-powered hive-to-home fragrance company. She's a marketing executive with a deep expertise in e-commerce customer acquisition and product growth. As a former head of customer happiness and general manager at Love Pop, Veronica is no stranger to creating magical experiences for customers by conceptualizing unforgettable products and delivering exceptional service. Veronica, welcome to the Innovator Podcast. Today, I am super excited to have Veronica Armstrong, the CEO of Il De Nature, a hive-to-home, bee-powered fragrance company today on the podcast. Veronica, welcome. Hi, Erica. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today because we had the opportunity to talk a couple weeks ago about the work that you're doing and your company. And I'm just excited to sit down and have this conversation. And what I'd love for you to do is start us at the very beginning and talk to us about what your early life was like and how your story has evolved to get you where you are today. Yeah, I'll try to just do the highlight reel. Um, I was born about 30 miles north of Boston on the border of New Hampshire in a town called, um, actually called Lawrence, Massachusetts. And uh, my parents were Dominican immigrants from the Dominican Republic. And, um, you know, it, it was like a predominantly Latino community, very poor, but very warm. And also lots of entrepreneurs. There were a lot of small businesses, hair salons. So I I, I grew up around really hardworking and um, inspiring people. And so once I graduated from high school, I, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but um, I, I just had a sense of purpose, I think, and a really strong work ethic because of um, the community I grew up in and just watching my parents really, really work hard to attain that American dream. So I started college um, right before I turned 18. And it was funny because I got there and I instantly felt completely out of my element. Um, I was was a really strong student. The school had given me a really great scholarship. um, But, you know, we were poor and I still couldn't afford that. I think it was only like $7,000, which in hindsight is like, I've come a really long way and I'm thankful for that. But um, that $7,000 was too much for for my mom to bear and there was nowhere to work. Um, The school was in New London, New Hampshire. And so I dropped out which was really, really tough for me, um, just as a person who was always on the honor roll and just just an achiever, you know, like I, I, I won beauty pageants, I played sports, I always had a job in high school, I volunteered, I did everything right. And it was really devastating to not be able to finish. But um, I would say, kind of as is my pattern, I dusted myself off and just kept moving forward. So a few months after dropping out, my father called me and he said, do you want to work for a politician at the Massachusetts State House? Now I was just like, like, who asks that? Like, obviously I do. Like my dad was a community activist while I was growing up. 
And, um, you know, Lawrence has suffered from a lot of corruption and um, just misrepresentation in terms of the local government's interest versus the actual needs of the community. And so he was just always a really inspiring force for me. And so he had pivoted, um, you know, from community activism to a little bit of campaign management and had a talent for it. And he was working with a state representative who lost his, you know, chief of staff legislative aid to another politician. And they just had an opening. And I'm like, why me? Like, why? (laughs) Was this crazy? Um, Barely 18 years old, dropped out of college. I'm like at my lowest low. And I'm like, why would you hire somebody like me? And my dad's like, you're brilliant. And this is what you wanted to do since you were a little kid. So I took the job. Um, And I remember my first day there because I had gone on a field trip when I was maybe seven or eight years old. I was really little. And I stood in the grand hall of the house and I had said, I will work here. I'm a grown up. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and I didn't think about it a ton. I remember that, that field trip. And I remember that moment um, really distinctly. But um, I got to do that. So I became I think, the youngest legislative aide at the time, working with a state representative who represented the district that I was born in, which was really important to me. Um, like I said, it was there's a lot of poverty and um, just overall issues in that community that I really wanted to be part of addressing. That was an awesome job. I loved it more than anything in the world. And um my dad and this politician had a falling out and basically my dad ran against him. Um, I campaigned against my father, which is really just dysfunctional and wild. But I think in a way he was kind of proud um, because sort of taking after him in terms of just fighting a really tough fight in, in an election season, my boss lost. And, you know, back in those days, it was frowned upon to work for your father, who was an elected official. Apparently that's since changed. But um, I felt it was, it would have been highly unethical. Um, I don't think there was even a written rule that I couldn't, it just, it felt really wrong. And so when my father took office, I stepped down from that role, of course. And I started working for another state representative, a great guy, um, who had a bigger office. He was a chairman of the Judiciary Committee because at that time I thought I would go be a lawyer. I had gone back to college um, because I was able to pay for school as I was working full time. But um, it was tough. It was tough moving from kind of running my own show, being so young and, and learning so much, I'm pretty good at it, to being kind of like a lowly staffer on a more you know, high profile um, team with a, uh, you know, a, a representative who had a more prestigious assignment, you know, as a chairman, he was more senior than, than my boss had been and things like that. So I stepped down again um, and I moved over to the public policy side and I started working at the executive office of health and human services right around the time that Mitt Romney was laying the foundation for the affordable care act. So groundbreaking, history-making moment in time for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But it was really then that I realized, obviously, super passionate about healthcare for everybody as an individual. But in terms of my career, it just wasn't something that got me really excited to get out of bed in the morning. I had never gotten a job on my own before um, as an adult. And so I decided I was going to pivot to the private sector, but I literally had no idea how to do that. So I might be aging myself, but what I did at that time was I started connecting temp agencies. And what that allowed me to do was work a variety of administrative roles across industries. So I got to work in financial services, insurance, um, probably a couple other randoms that I'm not remembering, but it was when I got to management consulting that I realized that that was where I wanted to be. So 
I became a manager assistant at Bain and Company, um, one of the, the world's like premier management consulting firm. And I supported a handful of managers who were really busy, um, super smart people. And I, I just got to see what they did for work, right? Um, I, I really just had no comprehension of what private sector even meant. So when you think about my parents, like my, my parents, they immigrated here fairly young, but um, like my parents worked in a factory in, until I was an adult. So it wasn't as if I could be like, hey, mom, can you introduce me to the CFO of that bank? I'd really like to understand what it's like to get into that industry. Like I, I wasn't connected. The internet was not super useful just yet <laughs> at that time in terms of like building networks online and stuff. So that was my best way to, to gain exposure to a really good industry. So all the time, I'm still putting myself through college when I'm able to, right? There was like a lot of starts and stops depending on whether there was an election season or if I was working full time and able to pay for it. Um, but at the time I was getting ready to graduate and I was thinking about my next thing. And I'm like, oh, well, like I should go be a management consultant. They make a ton of money. They travel. Like this is just a great career opportunity. So I start um, doing the business school circuit. I meet my husband at Carnegie Mellon's Tepper School of Business Diversity Preview Weekend 2007. <laughs> um, and I just, I fell in love with the school, but I also just, I fell in love with business school culture, as weird as that sounds. Um, and when I reflect on it now, it wasn't necessarily that I was falling in love with business school, I was falling in love with business, right? Um, again, I had not really had this exposure to this community. And so that weekend was a really great opportunity to immerse myself in what it looked like to work on a business, in a business, what is business, all that kind of stuff. Because my background just was so, you know, heavily like public policy and, and, and legislative and things like that. Loved it. Um, visited another school the following weekend, the Cornell Johnson School um, of Management, and then decided that I would just drop out of school, leave Boston and move to Vermont to go be with the guy that I had met at Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> so that's my husband. Um, I get to Vermont and I'm having a very good time. We're hanging out, living together and things like that. Um, we have kids, get married, do all of those things. But um, all the while we were both working at a defense contractor called General Dynamics Armament and Technical, Tactical Product. And um, it was fine. I was totally fine. So what was interesting about the role was it was an opportunity to blend the private and the public sectors. So I really got to bring some of that government expertise that I had, but I got to get some more firsthand exposure to just working at a you know, profit generating business. I had literally no passion for the space or for the work, um, not super into weapons of mass destruction or anything like that. And on top of it, you know, it was pretty easy to see where the future of warfare was headed, right? And it wasn't really like on the ground combat. Drones were getting really sophisticated and things like that. So my husband and I were talking and we're just like, all right, we know the writing was on the wall. Like a company this big is not going to stay in a place as expensive and remote as Vermont. Warfare is changing. Like these jobs aren't forever. This isn't where we want to plan our roots. What do we do? So he got into business school and he went to Cornell. And that was really relevant because I had visited Cornell the weekend after I met him. And I had made some friends there that weekend. So like that was very serendipitous for me because I already felt like I had a little bit of a community there from the network I had made when I was out looking for um, business schools. And so we get there and we have two really little kids. I think one was a year old and the other one was two. Okay, like what do I 
do with my life. Like this is wild. Um, so when I had been at General Dynamics, I was working in procurement. So I was a sourcing manager. I would procure um, parts for large scale weapon systems and then manage a bunch of suppliers that made them. And um, there's no way to do that in Ithaca, New York. This was before remote work and all that stuff. So I found myself for the first time since I was 14, not working full time, um, excuse me, not having a job at all. And everyone was like, you have two little kids, like you guys are only here for two years, you know, and then it'll be your turn to go to business school and, you know, go, go finish your degree, go to business school, all this stuff. But I really just couldn't sit still. Um, so I don't even know how I did it, but, um, oh, I do actually. So I've always been an early adopter of social networks. I don't know how or why, but that was always a thing for me. And I was on Twitter when it was like really young. And I remember somebody was like, you're really funny. You should write a blog. And I was like, what's a blog? <laughs> I Googled it and I was like, all right, streets are asking for me. <laughs> Gotta give the people what they want. So I started blogging and um, I did really well. So my angle was like, you know, I was a parenting blogger. I do have beautiful kids. So the preface helped. But um, this was before the iPhone took really good photos. And so we were all still using cameras a lot to get like really high quality photos for our sites. And so I was really just creating tutorials, teaching other mothers how to use their cameras really well. Um, I had an amazing affiliate relationship with a, can um, a camera store in New York. That was great. So I was, I was able to start generating income to help support us while my husband was in business school. And um, I'm kind of having this like decent freelance writing photography um, career. And so we decided to go do a semester at the London School of Economics. Mm -hmm. So my husband was studying, my kids and I were hanging around the city, having the time of our lives. It was, you know, good opportunity to get content for the blog. So I was like an influencer before they had name, they had a name, I guess you would say. Um, but then he graduated and we decided to go to Indiana, um, for his new role. And he was like, thanks for the past years. I appreciate your sacrifices. And so it's your turn, like get a job that you love, finish school, go to business school. If you want to like the world is yours, do whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go find another procurement job and finish my degree. I'm going to go to business school and then I'm going to be a management consultant. Like I'm sticking to my plan. And he's like, like, none of those things align with your strengths. Like, you didn't really like procurement. You definitely don't want to work in defense anymore. Like, why don't you try marketing? And I was like, what is marketing? <laughs> and he's like, literally, you've been doing in the dorm for the last year and a half, two years. Like, what are you talking about? And I was just like, I had no idea that that was a skill set that people paid for, which sounds ridiculous because I was making money doing it. But I guess in, in a corporate sense, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, he kind of put that, that bug in my ear and, um, I got a job like right away in Indiana. I was an associate channel manager, um, for target brand at this like wholesale paper party conglomerate. And I actually had like a really rad job. So it was basically, what month is this? If you went to target today and you went to the party section, you would probably see an end cap with like a pumpkin plate on it and like pumpkin napkins and stuff for Halloween. Mm -hmm. I was responsible for all of that stuff. So anything paper related um, that went through that end cap um, for every season was you know, my jurisdiction. So working with Target to manufacture all of the stuff that they wanted and then also pitching them on some like really cool ideas to try to increase, you know, the amount of sales that we would get from Target as a customer. So I love that job a lot. Did not love the work environment. Um, I was definitely a misfit there. I was... I'm just like a very ambitious, aggressive, 
restless person. And I've just come to learn that that personality type should just be at startups or it should be entrepreneurs. Um, some organizations, I think, do a decent job of nurturing talent that way. But um, other, I'm just really disruptive, right? Like these people had representation from an agency that would basically like pitch target on their behalf and were awful. And they would make millions of dollars every year from this company. And I'm like, buy them. And they're like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, but we can complain about it every day. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're not going to do anything. It was just ridiculous. Or I would identify a way to make way more money that, you know, was better than anything else on the table. But people were worried about like, saving face or something and they would like shoot my ideas down so I was just like all right this is the worst let me um so I got a promotion and I moved to the other side of the business as a product manager and then a digital marketing manager of two e-com properties one was b2b and it still exists it's called napkins.com and it's mostly like cases of restaurant supplies you know for caterers and restaurants and things like that and then the other one was called partypail.com, which is direct to consumer party goods. Um, so, you know, the target customer was a mother in the Midwest who wanted to spend $50 or less on her kid's first birthday, like something like that. I loved my boss. He was so supportive. He was great. It was a much better environment, I think, for my kind of talent than the other side of the business where I had been because he had a personality like mine. He was just, again, a very disruptive force in the, bu- in the business and always wanted to do cool new things. So we worked together really well. Um, but then he left and then my husband got a job offer in Boston. So I was like, oh, I have no reason to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. We left Indiana, went to Boston. And um, again, my husband was like, hey, you've been working really hard. Like, why don't you chill? Like, just spend, you know, a year with Cameron, my, my youngest um, child, my daughter, she wasn't old enough for kindergarten yet. And so he was like, why don't you stay home? Like kick it. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm tired. I will. And um, I don't even think three days had passed where I was like, oh my God, have you ever heard of a startup? Oh my God. <laughs> he was like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, now nah, I'm going to get a job. I just, and, and I, I love hanging out with my kids. It wasn't even about that. It was just like, it was 2015. I had never heard of a startup. I thought it was super cool. And um, every Friday when I was in Indiana, I would grab Ben and Jerry's and sit down because it was on Fridays at eight, I believe. And I would watch Shark Tank every single Friday. And every Friday, my husband and I would have the same conversation. Franco, why are we watching this? You know, I love this show. Why do you love this show? I'm like, I just do. And I'm going to be on it one day. And he's like, well, what are you going to be on it for? I'm like, I don't know yet, but I'm going to be on it. And he was like, okay, crazy lady. And we would, you know, eat ice cream and watch it. So startups to me were kind of like my first um, exposure to the kind of entrepreneurship that I'm involved in today and that that I really had my eye on. So I joined a company called Love Pop um, while they were at an accelerator called Techstars in Boston. I was kind of like their first grown up hire. Um, I was the first like (laughs) non-friend, non-intern that they hired because they had all gone to college together and then business school together. Um, The two founders had just graduated. And I met the CEO and I instantly was like, yes, this is an amazing idea. Like, why, do, why wouldn't I want to work with three pop-up greeting cards every day? This is a dream, right? It, um, it was a good, I, I, ju- I just think it was like a good full circle moment of all of the skills that I had acquired over the past years, right? Like the paper party, digital marketing, um, occasions-based industry, things like that. So 
met him, fell in love with the idea of the brand, the two founders energy joined. And then they told me like the next day we were going to be on Shark Tank um, six months later. Oh so that was pretty exciting. Yeah. So like, it's just, life is just weird. You know, I, I knew I was going to be on, I don't know how I just knew, but I, I just had no idea in what capacity, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I can't see the future. <laughs> but, and I was. And so that was a super fun experience. Um, so I was a digital marketing manager, I believe, when I joined there. And then after the first Shark Tank appearance, I took on like a customer support. It was mostly customer support, but it was done in a very different way because that's how I wanted to do it. I wasn't interested in doing like boring customer service. It was really like a way to evangelize the community of people that loved us in a way that would really I, I would say gain efficiencies on the marketing side. So I, I thought the best way to hire really talented people was to use customer support as an entry point to other careers by really showing them, number one, it's the most important function in a business, like fact, and people can fight me if they disagree because I'm right. But um, you get exposure to everything and you really learn how integral it is to every other function, right? So like, if a hundred customers call and 20 of them are telling you that when they add something to cart, three, three cards, you know, pop in there that they didn't want. Okay. Well, that's an engineering issue, right? Like, so you wouldn't know about it if you didn't have customers and customers are data, you need data to make informed business decisions and, and on and on. So I grew really passionate about it. I was very good at it. Um, I love that job, but I, I also started leading growth for a new product, which was wedding invitations. Um, my team and I, crush that. And so I became the general manager um, and oversaw a cross-functional team of about 25 with a team of direct reports as well. And we brought a pop-up wedding invitation product to market. And um, that was wild and crazy and super fun. And I learned so much. I would say that the main thing that I did while there that I, I think about a lot was we started text messaging customers and leads in mass before pretty much anybody else was doing it. Like I was doing that early with my, with my team. And um, it was done in a way that customers just loved it. And so that, like, that was one experience that I really took away from that, from that role was just people are happy to engage with a brand as long as you kind of do it on their terms, right? Like you don't want a rando person from X company calling you or texting you, but if you were already interested in the thing and someone is messaging you being like, I'm at your service, how can I make this easier for you? Like that gets people hype, right? So that was really fun. But um, it was at that time I, I just decided it was, it was time to step down. It, it, Love Pop grew really, really quickly. It grew to be a really, really big company. And, and I was just starting to see some signs of behaviors that were the kinds of things that I left big companies for. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. It was just like, I've done this before, you know, like it stopped being fun startup and it started being like just high stakes, but like not in a super exciting way anymore. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I've literally done this. I had worked at big companies, um, much bigger companies. I'd done the corporate thing. And I was like, I, I did this because I, I really wanted to, you know, just like see a company grow from almost like the floor up. So I went to another really small startup and then I mentored and advised numerous female entrepreneurs and startups. And so um, that's how I spent my time, but primarily been building Eldenature. So when I stepped down from love pop i had just started um working with my partners on just bringing the ill idea to market 
And so Elden Nature is a bee-powered home fragrance company. And we decided our first product would be a luxury beeswax candle. And yeah, so that's a, a much larger conversation. But um, basically, you know, it was a wild career that I could never have plotted out. But ultimately, you know, I, I finished the degree and I've held some really amazing leadership and executive roles. I, I've led teams. I've seen my products on Target stores. I've been on Shark Tank. I've been in an international commercial. Like, I've done a lot in, um, you know, the what feels like short, short time that I've been here. But when I reflect on it, it's always just, I like telling the story because I think people get super hung up on, on having a life plan. Mm-hmm. And the minute something kind of, goes astray on what we thought, you know, was our future trajectory, we can get really bummed. And I'm like, there's no way at 18 years old, when I was at my lowest place at this college, somebody could have shaken me and been like, do you understand how amazing your life is going to be in 15 years? Like, you're going to do all of this stuff. I'd have been like, yeah, all right, that's nuts. Right? Because even like at 18, what's, what's a Shark Tank? Like, what's a startup? Like, <laughs> there's, there's just no way to anticipate. Um, the, you know, all of the steps and fun things you're going to do in the future. So anyway, I'll, I'll pause there. It's just, it's been a super wild ride, but I love it. Yeah, that is fantastic, Veronica. I mean, just hearing your story and I only knew a very small portion of that from our, our previous conversation, but I love how you can see someone's trajectory, but you have to like look back, right? You have to see it from the point of it already happening to see the pieces that they pick up along the way. I mean, at each of these positions, and you said this yourself, you were picking up something that was beneficial to you later on. And it's very fascinating to see the paths that people take in their career that lead them to exactly where they needed to be. But it's just like, like you said, it's it's so weird. There's really no path. You can't get hung up on it. It's just where your path naturally goes. And that led you to Aldenature and I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about this. Well, not a little bit, a lot more about this because this product is so fascinating to me because yes, it's a luxury candle, but also you're supporting the local bee population in order to help reinforce and rebuild their ecosystem. So you also have a luxury product and a very, very strong and powerful mission to back it up where bees are the hero of the story. So can you walk us through the mission of the company and really what led you to build it up the way that you did? Absolutely. So it was my partners that conceptualized it. So they were in Dominica. So this is a little confusing because I'm Dominican American, but from DR (laughs) and and people from Dominique are also Dominican. So separate things. But they were in Dominica vacationing at their friend's resort. And it was around, um, it was after Hurricane Maria. And they got to see firsthand the devastation that this, um, you know, hurricane caused. And they were, you know, we all know that these weather events are getting more intense, more frequent um, due to climate change, right? Like that's a part of life. And so my partners were just like, what a shame if a place like this just didn't exist as it is today, because it's really just this like hidden jewel. Like I I'd heard of it maybe a few times in my life. I encountered a couple people from there, but like even having a Caribbean background and not being familiar with the country, it's almost embarrassing because it is just this place that is so full of just natural, like wonders and treasures is like the world's second largest boiling lake. For example, you can hike there. It's like all this incredible stuff. And so my partners were experiencing that and they were just like, 
you guys got to do something, you know, tourism is obviously going to be down until you can rebuild and the flight patterns are fixed and things like that. But you got to have something else because, you know, climate change isn't going anywhere and these storms are getting more intense. And so they started, you know, they had backgrounds in luxury and advertising and they're super talented with bringing products to market. And so they had the idea for a candle. And my partner and I met through a, a very wild sequence of events that I'll just say, um, it started with my influencer marketing, meeting this advertising executive who introduced me to a woman he worked with, who ultimately introduced me to my partner, Lynn. It was completely crazy. Um, but she and I met and she had just stepped down from her role um, to launch her own entrepreneurial endeavor and um, was consulting. So I was going to hire her as a consultant. We got to know each other. We vibed super hard. And um, I was, for whatever reason, I think I just really listened to my gut a lot. I, not as much as I should, but I do it when it counts, I think, where I just felt, I don't know, I didn't know this woman. And I just blurted it out. I was like, I'm going to hire you, but I don't feel like talking about it. I'm not in a good place. I've, I feel like I'm not in the role that I'm supposed to be in. I'm really just trying to like think about what I do with my, like, I was just, I just told her the stuff. I don't talk like that to people. You know, it's, especially like in a professional context, like somebody I was going to hire. And she was super chill. <laughs> she was like, okay, no worries. Get it. Um, I'll, you know, I'll call you when I'm back in town and we'll, you know, reevaluate it. Mm -hmm. So she sends me a message and she's like, I'm in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. Um, and I'm, I was in Massachusetts at the time. She's like, why don't you come to my place? We can sit down and talk in person. I have an idea. So I get there and, um, you know, I've never met her in person. I don't know her. I've heard good things. She sits me down and she walks me through this amazing presentation about this incredible country, this concept of helping to rebuild by creating something beautiful that people will also love. Um, she's walked me through it. And my assumption is, oh, well, I've done like large scale customer acquisition. I'm a marketer. I'm a digital marketer. You know, we have very different backgrounds. So I was thinking like, oh, she, she's looking for advice on this thing, like happy to give it. So she's taking me through the presentation and I'm just like, you know, saying, think about this or you should do this. I'm like really excited about it. She gets to the end and she's like, like, well, how would you feel about being CEO of this company? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> it was like the same situation I had when my dad was like, hey, college dropout, do you want your dream job? You know what I mean? Like I had that same feeling where I'm like, what do you feel like? Why? Like, why would you hire me? This is absurd. Um, but I think it's just, I hated to admit it at the time. I think I just had like hardcore imposter syndrome where, you know, you can Google Love Pop. What Love Pop did as an organization is incredible. But like what I did as an individual there was equally incredible. And I think it's just really bad at like owning my wins. But Lynn really recognized that in me from like the first time we talked where she was like, wow, like this is a talented person who when she's passionate about something can, you know, really tell a brand story and get people excited about things. So I obviously was like, of course I want to be involved. This is an amazing concept. Partner is an incredible woman. Um, and so, yeah, so we spent two years building this company. So basically it's this climate change is an issue. We all know that. Um, but I think what a lot of us fail to recognize just like feel is the human consequences of it in a way that um, isn't abstract, right? Like you can Google and you can see the devastation, you can see the suffering, but it, it's, it's different when it's um, kind of weaved into the fabric of like your life. Like when you know a friend has a place there or things like that. So for me, Ildenature 
is a conversation starter about how we treat the earth and the planet and how we think about consumption. And that all ties up with luxury. So nature is luxury, right? Like what is more luxurious than a irreplaceable piece of the earth? Like nothing. You can't replace a rainforest. You can't replace a boiling lake. Like you, you can't replace natural treasures. Therefore we think Nature is our greatest luxury and it is our job to be stewards of the earth. And so I am a CPG. I'm a, you know, a super packaged goods person. I love things. I love stuff, but I personally am very selective about what I buy because it's either covered in plastic or, you know, there's some like shady labor concerns. It's, I feel like it's great that we have all of this information now, but it's also almost like overwhelming because I want to make informed decisions about what I do with my money because I don't want to be part of a problem. Right. So all this stuff kind of rolls into my philosophy, you know, as CEO and I think, you know, just the organization as a whole, which is we like nice things and we like our homes to smell beautiful. Like that's never going to go away. Humans have been burning candles forever, but what if we did things better? Right. So when I had my son 11 years ago, I stopped burning scented candles immediately. And back then there was no conclusive data about like, you know, what, what was going on with candles or, you know, toxicity or any, you can find stuff like that on the internet. But I just knew I'm like, there's no way this is good for developing lungs. Right. Like, I don't know what's in this candle. So I stopped burning it. So like, that was a very personal anecdote, but it it, it really resonated because I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know why? Like, he was older and I was starting to like reintroduce scented products into my house, but I was still really uncomfortable. And we thought to ourselves, why hasn't there been a movement for home products in the same way that you see for beauty, which is customers demanding to know what's in there making sure they're cruelty free, making sure that people that are putting these beautiful products together are well compensated and taken care of. Like all of these things that we see the beauty customer demanding, it hasn't crossed over to home fragrance. And so that's really what I'm here to do. I am here to redefine how we talk about luxury. And I think I'm here to raise the bar for every other home fragrance company in this category, because what we see here is um, we have people charging $70, $200 for candles. You don't know what's in them. And a lot of them are either using paraffin waxes, which are highly toxic or soy candles, which everyone's like, Oh, soy, totally natural, but no. A lot of them are blending soy with palm oil, which when harvested, it leads to wide scale deforestation. So what you're really doing is like you're putting your own health in the hands of these people, hoping they're telling you the truth about what's in their products. So take a dip tea candle, for example, it's like a $70 candle. That's nothing more than a toxic wax poured into a glass cup with a sticker slapped on it. And that's what it is. People are buying it. And so Ildenature is we're our own thing. You know, the competitors don't necessarily matter, but on, on the other hand, I just, this industry really needs a lot more transparency. Right. Um, so our candle is 51% beeswax and then the rest is coconut oil and soy. It's a completely palm oil free product. Um, our supply chain is plastic free um, as of right now. And I doing everything that I can to keep it that way, which is really exciting. The fragrance is incredible. It's created by um, our team member, Caroline Fabrigas, who's a world-renowned scent marketer, um, who's created signature fragrances for some of the biggest brands in the world. So it smells incredible. 
And then it's in a gorgeous vessel that was created by Smithsonian recognized designer, Joe Doucette. And so as you burn the candle, it glows from the inside out. Um, and it just reminds you that this is made with beeswax that real human beings, um, you know, they raise these bees, they source this wax, they gave it to me, I gave them money in exchange for it. And I'm helping them to rebuild these bee populations and these bee economies that were so heavily damaged by climate change. And um, so it's a very layered product. It's a layered brand story. But I feel like I know we basically just built a company that I would purchase from, right? Which is like, I want more. I want an heirloom. I want something I can reuse. I want something that when someone comes to my home and they say, wow, that smells great. I can be like, cool. I saw, you know, all the celebrities on Instagram had that candle. I can say more than that. I can be like, yeah, these people are literally buying beeswax straight from, you know, Dominican um, beekeepers because after Hurricane Maria, their hives were wiped out, you know, and helping them rebuild. And I can say, you know, this vessel is reusable and it's gorgeous and it was created by this really talented artist and, and on and on and on. There's just so many facets to this product that um, I really just wanted to redefine how we think and talk about home fragrance, not just for Ildenature and hopefully our future success, but also I think that every single brand has the responsibility to be more transparent about what's in their candles because we're spending more time at home than ever before. And people are burning these things and inhaling them, children, pets, you know, elderly relatives and things like that. People should know what's in them. And so if you're not proud of what's in your candle, um, it's time to push for a change. We spoke to plan this episode. We touched briefly on the lack of transparency when it comes to the supply chain and practices of candle and fragrance companies specifically. Um, can we touch a little bit more on that? What are the unethical practices you've seen from your past experiences and how is Eldenature different? Yeah, I think it's mostly just people not being open about what's in the candle. Like, well, what is it exactly? And so it's not necessarily that people are villains. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to villainize anybody. I think you kind of, if people aren't demanding the information, why put everything out there? And then there might be some, you know, people don't want to kind of give away their like secret formula and things like that. So I don't think it's really like nefarious, like big candle <laughs> out there. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that the radical transparency that we're seeing in other industries just hasn't reached this one yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as a whole, you know, people buy them because they smell nice and they lend ambiance. And so totally get that. Um, we came out of the gate with a $125 candle, which is on the much higher end. It's a luxury product um, to sort of spark a conversation that hopefully triggers them to just be more open, right? Like even if, if, if you're not an Ildenature customer, but you learn to ask what's in the thing that you're burning and you and your family are breathing, I feel like that's, that's a win, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's more to that. And, you know, I, I don't know of anybody that's really just out there being shady, but like a lot of people white label candles, right? Yeah. So when it was funny, I I'm very much in the like super high growth, like venture back, like startup community. And people are like, well, like, what are you working on? I'd be like, Oh, you know, home fragrance company, it's candles people are like oh my god that's so cute um you know there's this connotation that you're just like hand pouring them and it's like this you know cutesy thing that you're doing at home and definitely like 
there are, you know, smaller and poor, you know, batch, small batch vendors. Um, but for me, it was like, no, I want to be the Yankee candle of our generation, right? Mm -hmm. um, what we have is a billion dollar incumbent that's selling these candles that are so played out. Like, I don't want a candle that says fresh smelling laundry anymore. Like I liked it in the nineties, but <laughs> it just like doesn't vibe with our aesthetic. Right. And then they're paraffin. And then what are the ingredients in your fragrance oils and things like that? So for me, it's not necessarily that like, you know, it's a super shady industry, but you know, I think there's a lot of people that just buy other brands candles and we don't know what's in them. They slap their name on it. Um, you know, I see huge influencers doing it because everyone thinks candles are just a nice, easy way to throw out like a really high margin item. Um, and I'm just kind of pushing back on that and saying like, no, actually to do this well, it's a lot of work and it's a significant investment, but I, I believe my partners believe because we've put a lot into this, that the payoff will be greater because people will ultimately be consuming a healthier product that actually gives back to this earth. Mm -hmm. Definitely a product on a mission. Yeah. Like there's levels and levels to it, right? Like mm -hmm. I want to be the home fragrance brand that people, I just feel like, you know, when, you know, we were younger people would like watch TV and commercials would come on and you remember, you know, like whatever, whatever, an SC Johnson company, you know, or like a Procter or thing like that. And just like, why, why couldn't this category be ours? Like, why couldn't we maybe be, you know, an interesting acquisition target to these bigger companies? Because these really smart people run these companies and, and they see the future, right? Mm -hmm. The future is, People will not stop consuming, but people are getting smarter and more proactive about what they're buying and why. And the future is not a Glade plug-in, right? The future is maybe like my scent coin, which is, you know, a piece of ceramic dipped in fragrance oil with no plastic and no electronics and just a natural way to, you know, um, increase the ambiance of, of your home without, you know, doing any harm to the earth. So, I just, I think there's a lot there. I, I just think that it's potentially an industry that consumers just haven't turned a lot of attention to in terms of inquiry and, and what's in their stuff. But like the mission to help bees, to help um, any region that inspires our fragrance that has been affected by climate change and ultimately to make people's homes smell better, but be healthier. Mm-hmm. So Veronica, walk us through a normal day in your life, if there even is such a thing as a normal day. <laughs> you know what I'll do? I'll pull up, what is it, what's going on tomorrow? So a normal day. Um, you know, with the pandemic, there's like no super normal day. But I think with the pandemic, it's allowed me to have the privilege to kind of create um, the schedule that works best for me. So I'll wake up, I will drink a green drink. I go for a walk with my husband, which is unheard of pre-pandemic. So that's been like a really nice um, change of pace. Come home, make a coffee, make my kids a bigger breakfast. They probably ate while I was out for a walk because they're bigger kids now. Um, help them with online school, most likely starting in a couple of days. Meetings, podcast recording, interview, work on the business. Um, and just a lot right now, we're really getting ready to go to market. Um, so we've been working on this for two years. We've been in pre-launch for like three months. By the time you hear this, um, we will likely be just out and shipping within a few days of purchase and things like that. So just really 
working directly on the business, but listening a lot. So I would say a typical day involves, you know, following up with people who received a sent coin, asking them what they think. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Would you record a testimonial that I can use in my marketing? Like I'm really excited about creating a brand that has a lot of customer and community involvement. I really want people to tell me how they want to be marketed to. It probably sounds weird. Um, so yeah, my day right now is, you know, a standard, like take care of your family, take care of yourself stuff. Um, but the work is really centered around doing a lot of active listening so I can take those lessons learned and build them into the business. And that right there is your head of customer happiness experience coming out in you. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I love talking to people as it relates to, I mean, I guess I take it super seriously that someone is willing to spend their hard earned money on something that I created or, you know, had a part of um, building. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a huge privilege. And I don't know if it's just, I'm super sappy that way, but um, it was the same at Love Pop. Like there were people that talked to us the night we aired in 2015 who would still call three years later in 2018 and ask for me by name. Um, and that's just always stuck with me because I think there's a tendency to separate business and life and and that kind of stuff. When you think of it, it's all interrelated, right? People crave connection. People like nice things. People like to feel that they're valued and they like to be treated, you know, as humans and with respect and things like that. And so for me, I do that. (laughs) And I think it resonates with people because a lot of other brands don't do that. And so every order is a super privilege and I feel it really deeply. And I think people feel it deeply when they talk to me too. Um, So I'm really just taking advantage of the superpower that I have, which is to, you know, really translate the gratitude that I have for people taking a chance on me because that never goes away. Like love pop became a a giant company and there still wasn't a day where I, you know, I would look at sales, even making tons of money and revenue compared to, you know, when I joined where I wasn't like, this is a gift, you know? And so I I don't know. I think I'm just, I think it's an unusual way of looking at it. Um, But for me, this is what it's about. You know, it's not necessarily, I, you know, I'm not trying to, okay. I shouldn't say I'm not trying to be the richest person on the planet because if that should happen, like whatever, it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally like not the energy, right? Like imagine if you just got all of your energy from trying to like accumulate wealth, which isn't like really a thing you can control, right? I can't wake up tomorrow and be the richest person on earth. But I get my energy from building something that I love, that I believe in, that I would buy myself. And Mm -hmm. then when I am privileged enough to talk to someone who like believed in me and bought a thing that I poured my heart and soul into, um, I don't know, like, why would I want to spend my time doing anything differently? It's pretty awesome. And it's also awesome when they're not telling me things I want to hear because you need that too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, the average day will involve most people just telling me all the stuff that they love, but sometimes I'll get lucky and someone will tell me things that I should do differently that end up being really meaningful. So yeah, that's how I spend my day. Not a really straightforward answer, but, um, just different methods of communicating with prospective customers. Mm-hmm. That sounds fascinating. I mean, I studied communication studies in college and that's exactly what we were trained to do. Um, and it, it really is cool to hear the good stuff, but also hear the bad stuff that helps you progress. But people in the audience who are listening, who want to connect, where do they find you online? Super easy. Ildenature.com. I-S-L-E. 
D-E-N-A-T-U-R-E. Um, I'm also like super easy to find on the internet. I'm, you know, Veronica Armstrong. If you plug in Veronica Love Pop or whatever, you will find me. Um, yeah, I just, I'm really excited to share this with the world and I love all kinds of feedback. So, you know, if you, you have a question or you have a comment, like find me online and let me know. Well, Veronica, thank you so much for coming on today and walking us through your story. Super exciting to hear the career paths that lead people to where they are now and being super successful. And you're making such a huge difference in, well, one, local bee populations and rebuilding ecosystems, but also creating a really cool product that people need and sparking a conversation that we definitely need. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh my goodness. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.